All right. Am I am I on? Do I, we good? Hit another button. I'm good now. <laughs> awesome. Hey, good to see y'all. That's you don't have to reciprocate. That's all right. I'm confident. I'm confident. Hey, I'm really glad to be here with you. Uh, this is this is one of my favorite places to be. Uh, I was telling somebody this is my third uh, location uh, preaching at Origins. So. Uh, so now I got them all. Um, I've, I've taught at the old location uh, back at um, Spill the Beans, and I taught over right over there at the cigar warehouse. And now, uh, now glad to be here with y'all. I love this church. I was just texting with both of your former or your, or your current pastor, not former, uh, and your former pastor. I was texting with JD and Matthew this morning, and I love both of those guys. I've been a a big fan of this place since it started. Uh, I, I just want to tell you I love Matthew and Abby. Um, I want to encourage you. Anytime I, I, I get an opportunity to go teach at a lot of places, I'll tell you who I am in a minute. You're like, what are you talking about? But, um, <clears throat> but one of the things I always do when I go to these places, I encourage congregations to pray for their pastors. And so I want to encourage you to pray for Matthew, uh, pray for Abby. It's a, it's a heavy uh, weight pastoring a church, especially um, just you know, with challenges that, that exist uh, with financial, other things that go on in the world today. So uh, if you're not in the habit of praying regularly for your pastor, we just finished Pastor Appreciation Month, um, but, but every day I just want to encourage you to pray for Matthew and Abby. Y'all have got a great one in him. Uh, he's one of my favorite guys because he is real. He is who he is, um, and I'm thankful that, uh, that he had a helmet on about a year ago when, uh, when he had his accident on the motorcycle. So, so glad to be with y'all today. My name's Cliff Marshall. So I work at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, so I serve your South Carolina Baptist Convention. This, this church is a part of that through the, through the giving that you give, that you give collectively so that we can send missionaries to every corner of the earth and we can do mission work right here in South Carolina. I serve as the church planting team leader. We call that the start team. So I get to help churches like Origins all over the state, and we want to see new churches started everywhere and in every corner of our state. Right now in South Carolina, Three out of four South Carolinians are not connected to a Bible-teaching church. And so the need is great. Uh, we, we need to plant as many churches as we can. And so I get to work with guys all, all over the state trying to see that happen. I got a great team of guys that I work with. If you got a Bible with you today or if you want to open it up on an app, it is going to be on the screen. Uh, it's, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Uh, in John 14. John is, is uh, one of the first four books of the New Testament. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with that, but maybe some of you aren't. Uh, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those books the Gospels. That's, uh, if, if, you, if that word's unfamiliar to you, if you don't know what that means, it's just a fancy church word that means good news. And we call those four books the Gospels because what's contained in those books is the story of Jesus. From birth to death to resurrection. So it talks about his life. It talks about his teachings. It talks about the miracles he performed. It talks about his death on the cross. It talks about his resurrection, which we just sang about. And then it talks about the fact that he's going to be coming back one day. And so all of that is good news for folks who have chosen to believe that, for folks whose lives have been changed by that. That's why we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gospel. So I'm going to read John 14, 1 through 11. And uh, let, me, let me start and I'll just uh, read this. You can follow along. 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. And then we get to verse 5, and a guy named Thomas asked Jesus a question. Now, if you're familiar with any story about the New Testament at all, you probably have heard this guy called Doubting Thomas. The reason he was called Doubting Thomas is, uh, is partly because Thomas was just a real practical guy. You know, there are some people uh, who have a hard time believing something until they can see it and touch it. And, uh, and, and that doesn't always line up when we're called to be faithful. And faith is a lot about believing what you cannot see, right? But, but Thomas was a very practical guy. And so Thomas here asked what is a very practical question. And I've got to believe that Thomas asked it, but I've got to believe that many of the 11 other guys that were sitting in that room, they were probably thinking it, but weren't bold enough to come out and ask it. And Thomas in verse 5 asked Jesus this question. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord said, Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So here's the setting for what we're here. So we're here in a conversation that was a conversation of friends. Jesus is talking to his closest friends, his closest followers. You know these guys as the apostles or the disciples. At that time, they had not yet been called apostles, but, but Jesus called them his disciples. And so there's a group of 12 sitting with Jesus. It's a very uh, intimate, think, think about you know, having your closest friends at your house, you get a big dining room table, and you're sitting around eating some of your favorite food and you're having a conversation about the future. And that's what's going on here. So Jesus is talking to them. This, uh, I love this passage of Scripture because it's the direct words of Jesus talking about who he is. Because there's this big word that maybe you've heard, and, uh, and, and it's called theology. If you, I, I, you've probably heard the word theology. Now, now here's the chances are, are good that, uh, that you don't think about the word theology all week long. You're probably not going to go to work tomorrow and someone's going to say to you, hey man, let's talk about theology. That's probably not going to happen, uh, you know, unless you work at, at one of our universities or something here. And, but, but theology is extremely important because we all have a theology. Now here, here's what theology is. It's, a, it's another one of those fancy religious words, but it's got a very simple meaning. It comes from two words. One is theos, the other one is logos. So theos means God. Lagos means words or word. So theology, in the most practical uh, definition, is God words, God talk. It's 
things that we say and believe and we try to teach others about who God is. Now you might say, Cliff, I don't even ever talk about theology. I don't, I don't even try to teach anyone about theology. If you've ever had a conversation where you've said, hey, this is who I believe God is, or this is what Jesus is, or this is what's right and this is what's wrong, you are practicing theology. And in the world we live in today, we are surrounded by theologians. Everywhere you go, we are surrounded by theologians. Sometimes they're famous people, and, and they're telling us their opinions about who God is, who God isn't, what Jesus really said, what Jesus really meant by what he said, what's right and what's wrong. But we can't just blame the famous people or the politicians or the athletes for doing that because if you are on, are on any type of social media platform, you know that people do that all the time on there. I know it's not y'all. I know it's not y'all. It's other people, right? You've got an uncle or somebody who he's constantly wanting to put his stuff out there about what he believes about what the Bible says and how it should be interpreted. And so we're surrounded by theology. <clears throat> Sometimes that theology is good, but oftentimes the things that people are saying about God and about faith and about heaven and about hell and what's right and what's wrong and how you should live, oftentimes those things have just a little bit of truth, but then there's some things in there that people have just added on their own. And they're wanting us to believe, wanting you and me to believe that this is what is the true about God and what is not true about God. There, now, like I said, there are some famous people that do that. But again, remember, it's not just the famous people. We're all guilty of it. But there's one famous person who has kind of made a, a career out of it. I don't, I don't want to call her out, but uh, her initials are Oprah Winfrey. And, um, and here's, here's what I know about Oprah. Oprah was raised in the church. If you, if you know her background, she was raised in a Bible-teaching church. Oprah has probably read John 14. In fact, Oprah may have read John 14 more than some of us in this room. I, I'm almost positive that Oprah has sat through a message hearing the words of Jesus in John 14, 1 through 11. But at some point in her life, she began to take the teachings of Jesus and say, I like the way these sound, but I also want to add in this idea. I also want to add in that idea. And that's what I'm talking about when we're surrounded by theologians. It gets extremely dangerous because it sounds pretty good. And some of it sounds, and it, it appeals to our emotions and it makes us feel like, ah, I like this. In fact, I like this a little bit better than what the Bible has to say because there's this part that the Bible says that I feel uncomfortable with, but if we leave that part out and just accept this part of the Bible and then add this different teaching, then I can accept it. And, and feel like I can live by that more. So passages like this, John 14, 1 through 11, where we're reading the direct words of Jesus are extremely important because Jesus says some things in here that refutes some false theology that's popular in our day. And we're going to look at three of those. Jesus, in, in John 14, chapter 6, this is, the, this is the key verse we're going to key in on today. Jesus said this, I am the way the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's nine words. That's nine words you could build your life on if you wanted to. Now, we need to learn as much about all the teachings of Jesus as we can, but if you wanted to boil things down to one 
simple phrase, nine words, that you're like, I'm going to remember this about this is who Jesus is. That's a good place to start. You can build your life on those nine words. It's practical. It's easy to remember. And that's one of the things I love about the teachings of Jesus is that they are extremely deep, but at the same time, they're simple. They're simple to grab a hold to. They're simple to remember. Now, before we jump into those nine, the, the, the way, the truth, and the life part, the first two words of that, of that verse we can't overlook when Jesus said, I am. I am. Now, I am are, are two words that most of us use a lot because we like to talk about ourselves, right? If we're honest, we like to talk about ourselves. So if I wanted to right now, I could tell you, hey, turn to the person next to you and make an I am statement about yourself. And you could quickly do that. Some I am statements about me, I am married to Sherry, and uh, she, she's my wife, so that's an I am statement about me. I am the father of Emily and Grace. Uh, I am still learning how to be a father to Emily and Grace, even though they're grown and don't live in our house anymore. Uh, I am a Gamecock fan. I am often frustrated because I'm a Gamecock fan. I'm a little less frustrated this morning because I'm a Gamecock fan, right? But I'm not going to get in, but... but so, but we can all make these I am statements about ourselves. It's super simple to do that, right? Well, when, when Jesus begins this uh, verse by saying I am, it, it had more meaning than even when we make I am statements. And here's why. Um, the, the 12 guys that Jesus is talking to, they were all Jewish young men. And, and Jesus was a, a rabbi. These guys, had, they had left everything to, to follow Jesus uh, because they believed we're going to dedicate our lives to the teaching of this Jewish rabbi. They, when they did that, they didn't yet understand who he really was, but they were going to be dedicated to the teachings of this Jewish rabbi. And when a Jewish rabbi would say the statement, I am, it got these Jewish young men's attention and their ears perked up. And here's why. If you go all the way back in the story of the Jewish faith, all the way back to the book of Exodus, there was a guy named Moses who you've probably heard of, and, and God comes to Moses and he tells him he's got a specific task that he wants him to do, that he wants to go to Egypt and to help free the, the slaves uh, that were there that were all Israelites. And when Moses says to God, all right, who am I supposed to tell them as sending me, God? What is your name? God said in Exodus 3.14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So I am in the Jewish culture was the very name of God. So when Jesus begins a statement by saying I am, it got these Jewish young men, it got their attention. And Jesus had been using that statement a lot. If you go back and look at the rest of the book of John leading up to chapter 14, you see that Jesus has started to say the I am statement a lot. He said things like I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the vine. So he was beginning to very clearly declare to the disciples that he and the Father are one. That there was God the Father and God the Son, and Jesus is beginning to say, we're, we're the same. So when you hear me talk, you're hearing the words of God the Father. And this was a huge deal to these guys listening. Because to the Jewish young men in that room, God the Father was very separate from them. In fact, God the Father was so separate that they, 
they didn't really feel confident that they could even pray to God the Father. They couldn't ask God the Father to forgive their sins. They had to have a priest that would stand in front of them and offer a sacrifice for them so that they could do that. And here Jesus was saying, not only do you know me and are friends with me, but I am the same as God the Father. You have the most close, intimate relationship with God the Father that you could have. And so that's why in verse 8, when, Lord, when uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us, it was like Philip was just wanting to clarify what, what's going on here. And then in verse 11, Jesus answers by saying, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So when you are surrounded in the world we live in today, when you're surrounded by these theologians, whether it's people you know, whether it's something you're reading, whether it's a famous person, you're surrounded by these false theologians or people that are trying to tell you that they believe. It's important that we go back to the words of Jesus because we know that the words of Jesus come directly from God the Father. We know that he is who he says he was. So there's three specific false theologies in our world today that I believe are refuted when Jesus uses the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The first thing that Jesus teaches us about himself in this statement is he says that he is the way to God. He is the way to God. Now, here's the, here's the false teaching of today's world that all of you have heard, and that is the false theology is there are many ways to God. There are many different ways you can get to God, many different paths to God. In fact, it doesn't really matter what religion you are. You can be Buddhist. You can be Muslim. You can be Jewish, you can be, you know, whatever you want to be. It's all at the end, it's all going in the same direction. That's the false theology that you hear today. In fact, in today's world, you don't even have to be a part of any religion. You can just, you know, try to live a good life, be nice to grandmas, take in a stray dog every now and then, think good thoughts, donate, throw some money to charity every now and then, that kind of thing, and hey, it all takes us to the same place. But when we see that, that, uh, that what Jesus teaches is very different than that. See, the, the false theology today of there are many paths to God, it's kind of, um, I would call that golden corral theology. How, if, how many of you have been to golden corral? You, let's just be honest now. I, all right. Um, how many of you, when you went there, you were like, this is a bad life decision and I'm never going back? <clears throat> yeah. Last time I went to golden corral, I was like halfway through my third plate and I was like, this, I can i got to make a change. I'm not doing this ever again. Now, here's, here's what happens at Golden Corral. On one plate, on one plate, you can have some green beans, some Salisbury steak, a piece of pizza, some fried chicken, put some cotton candy on there. Then at the end, there's a chocolate fountain, and you can, you know, just drizzle it all in chocolate. And, and you're just picking and choosing all these different things on one plate, and it's all leading to the same place, which is diabetes and morbid obesity. That's where it's leading us to. But this, is, this theology of there are many paths to God, that's like, that's like golden corral theology. Take a little bit of this. This sounds good. Oh, I like a little bit of this teaching over here. I like how that makes me feel. I'll add some of that to it. And we think at the end it's just all leading us to the same place and that somehow it's all going to get us to God, whatever that God is that you have created in your own mind that you think, exists and Jesus says that that's not the case Jesus said that he is the way 
He didn't say he was one of the ways. He said he is the way. We could never be the way ourselves. And that he is the exclusive way. When he says in verse 6, he ends it by saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty clear. You can't be much clearer than that. One of the things I think is funny is uh, I, I've had this conversation a lot. I recently had it with a, a young guy that I've known most of his life. And, uh, and he went off to college. And college is great. I went off to college. Um, my, my kids went off to college. Um, but, you know, he was one of these guys, he went off to college, and when he got there, man, he got super smart. He got way smarter than anybody that, it, it, you know, he had ever known before. Way smarter than his parents, way smarter than me, um, you know, way smarter. He, he just was super smart now because he'd taken a few college classes. And I remember he came home, and he told me, and, you know, I'd been his pastor growing up, and he said, hey, I want you to know I've decided something. I said, okay, what have you decided? He said, I've decided that uh, I, only, uh, I only am going to uh, believe the parts of the Bible where Jesus taught. I said, okay, so the whole Old Testament, that's out? Yeah, no more Old Testament for me. What about the parts of the New Testament that, that aren't the direct words of Jesus? Yeah, that's not for me either. But Jesus, I, I'm, I'm good with Jesus. I like with Jesus. I was like, well, tell me one of the reasons why. Why? I, you know, I, I just can't believe that God would send Muslims to hell and God would send, you know, people that are not Christians to hell. I said, well, you got to quit thinking about, about God sending anybody anywhere. Um, I said, let me ask you this question. I said, what about the fact that Jesus said that he's the only way? You're still okay with just the teachings of Jesus? See, there, one of those things is we like to look at things and say, hey, I, I don't like this part of the Bible, I like that part of the Bible, and we think that somehow it all contradicts itself. Jesus makes it very clear here. There's only one path. And those parts of the Bible that make you uncomfortable because it makes it sound like there are people that are going to face the judgment of God, Jesus said the same thing. There is one way to God, and it's him. The second thing that Jesus teaches us in this, he said he was the way and he is the truth. He is the truth about God. He is the way to God. He is the truth about God. Now, here's, <clears throat> here's the false theology that we hear in our culture today that this teaching from Jesus refutes. And this is a fairly new statement that, uh, that I've just heard in the last few years. And uh, that statement is this, speak your truth. Not the truth, but speak your truth. Now, I, under, I understand where that statement came from. It came from people with good intentions, right? The intentions are, hey, there are folks in culture today that have been traditionally marginalized and not been listened to. And we do need to listen to all voices. I'm not saying that uh, folks that we traditionally haven't listened to, that we still should not listen to them. We need to hear all voices. But there cannot be your truth that's different than someone else's truth. Because then it's not truth. So here, here's the deal with speak your truth. Speak your truth is this. Um, I believe very strongly in something based on my experiences not only just based on my experiences, but based on how I feel about my experiences. And that feels good because I believe it strongly. It happened to me. I have strong feelings about what happened to me. That becomes a problem when my experiences and what I feel about my experiences come in direct conflict with your experiences 
and how you feel about your experiences. So now, how can two things that are directly opposed to one another both be true? How can I be speaking truth and you be speaking truth when we're saying two things that are in conflict with one another? Yeah, but I believe it. I, I feel strongly about it. It's, it. It happened to me. How can you tell me that it's, it's not true? Now, now here's, the other, here's the other big problem with speak your truth. The things that I believe strongly, that I say I believe strongly, I don't always live by what I say I believe strongly. And neither do you. See, when, when folks begin to say, this is, this is who I am, and I've dedicated my life to this, follow them around for 18 months, and at some point they're going to veer off of that. Not only that do they not live up to it, but sometimes it changes. Now, their experiences don't change, but maybe their feelings about what happened to them change. And so it was like, hey, this is, this is it. This is my truth. Two years later, oh, my truth is different now. See, what I love about Jesus is when Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, is that Jesus never changes. And what he said never changes, and he lived out. We just sang a song, that second song, it talked about the fact that Jesus was the same then, he's the same today, he's going to be the same forever. We just sang about that. The, the truth of who Jesus is has never changed and it never will change. See, we rarely live out the truth that we claim to believe in, but Jesus always lived out the truth that he taught. In fact, look at verses 10 and 11. It says, so, so Philip had asked him this question, hey, Jesus, show us the Father and, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So what Jesus is saying to Philip and the rest of the disciples there is, believe my words. I've been telling you who I am. Believe my words. But even if the words sound too good to be true, even if the words are hard for you to believe, then watch what I do and believe what I do. And those two things always lined up with Jesus. They don't always line up with me. Sometimes I say I believe things and I don't live it out. You probably are the same way. But with Jesus, they always do. Jesus was the truth about God. What he said was true. What he did proved it. He lived it out. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And that unchanging truth about who Jesus is can give us peace. Because we know that it's always going to be there. And then the third thing Jesus said about himself, he said he was the way, he was the truth, and that he was the life. Jesus allows us to live a life for God. He's the way to God, the truth about God. He allows us to live a life for God. Now, here's the most common false theologian statement ever, and you've, you've heard it. Uh, it's super, super popular. It's been around your whole life, and that is this. Follow your heart. Some of our favorite movies are about following your heart. Some of our favorite songs are about following your heart. And let me tell you something. My pastor at uh, Freedom Fellowship in Greer, where, uh, where I'm a member, he said this one time, and I'm going to quote him. He said, follow your heart should be on the Mount Rushmore of stupid statements. It is one of the worst things you can live your life by. Why is that? Well, the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
So when I told you earlier that we have to be very careful about false theologians, about them changing the way we think, about us getting caught up into what they think and them deceiving us, the biggest false theologian you have to worry about is your own heart. Because your own heart will deceive you. Your own heart will lead you in the wrong direction. See, following your heart is basically you're just saying, it's about me and me being happy. Whatever I'm going to do. I cannot tell you the number of times I've sat with people and counseled with them about the terrible decision they were in the middle of making or the terrible decision they were about to make. And I would say to them, why are you doing this? Do you see what Scripture says? Do you see what Jesus taught? And they would say, I understand all that, but this, is, this just feels right, and, and, and my heart's telling me that this is the right thing. So your heart's telling you to leave your wife, who you made a vow to stay with, because somebody that looks better, that seems more interested in you, has come along. So you're telling me that your heart is telling you to abandon your children because you just can't handle the stress anymore? You, you see what I'm saying? Follow your heart. It sounds so romantic and beautiful when we're in the middle of it. But following our heart is all about us, and it's not about who God is and what he has for us. And Jesus said that he has given us an opportunity to live a life that's not about us. It's to live a life that's about God. In fact, when Jesus is talking to these men there that were around him, he, he had said to them, follow me, and they had all given up things to follow, uh, follow him. In fact, in, in, uh, in other parts of Scripture, Jesus had said, not only just follow me, but he said, take up your cross and follow me. And so when we hear the fact that Jesus puts take up your cross in front of the follow me, we know that he was telling them up front, follow me, and it's not always going to be easy. In fact, there's going to be days when it's difficult for you to follow me. And one of the things that I have learned, if I've learned anything in the time I've been on this earth, is that oftentimes doing the right thing is not easy. Oftentimes doing the thing that needs to be done is the hardest thing there is to do. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something that's going to change the world. I'm not promising you it's going to be easy, but you'll have an opportunity to live a life that's beyond you, to live a life for God, a life of impact, a life of sacrifice, and a life of purpose. Jesus provides a way to God. Jesus is the truth about God. And Jesus allows us to live a life for God. Now, we jumped right into the middle of this passage, jumped, jumped right to verse 6, and I didn't really focus on the first verse or two. We're going to jump to that right now. And I want to show you a picture of a member of my family. Um, so <clears throat> that is a, yeah, some of y'all awed over that. That's why I told my man up there, I was like, do not put that picture up early because it'll distract everybody. So this is Sally, uh, and uh, she's just the cutest little thing you've ever seen, isn't she? Isn't she just precious? Don't let her looks fool you. She's terrible. She's a terrible dog. Um, let me take that back. She's not terrible all the time, but she's terrible every day. She was terrible uh, about an hour and a half ago. Now, here's why I say that. She's terrible when we try to leave the house. She cannot stand for us to leave the house. Uh, her favorite thing would be for us to give up our jobs, to, to give up our friends, to have everything delivered in, and just stay with her all the time. She would love if that was our life. But that's not the way it is. My wife and I are adults that have jobs, and we have to leave the house every day. 
sometimes multiple times a day. And every time we leave, she goes bananas. Um, it's, it's worse when my wife leaves, um, worse than when I do. When my wife picks up a, a set of car keys, it, it's just craziness ensues. She's barking, she's nipping at my wife's ankles like she's going to try to drag her back in. If you're not careful, you just open up the door a crack and she runs out like she's going to try to get out ahead of this thing and kind of kind of corral everybody back in. And uh, she, she hates for us to leave the house. Now, now Sally doesn't speak English. Um, sometimes I think she can understand it, but she doesn't speak it. Uh, so I don't know exactly why she does this, but, but here's, I think I, I figured it out. She goes crazy when we go to leave the house because, one, she loves us a lot. She really loves us. Second is, she depends on us, and she's afraid that we're never going to come back. I think she really believes this is it. They're going away. I'm never going to see these people again, um, and I'm going to be by myself in this air-conditioned house with classical music playing to keep me calm. It's, it's going to be a terrible, terrible situation. That's what I think she believes. Well, in the very beginning of this passage, in verse 1, when we first started this, I told you this was an intimate conversation of friends around a dinner table. And Jesus started by saying this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, what did the disciples have to be troubled about? Well, Jesus had been telling them for a while, and he was reminding them again that he was getting ready to leave. He was getting ready to leave the house. And they loved him. They had grown to depend on him. And they didn't know if he was ever going to come back. In fact, they probably couldn't imagine a situation where he would come back. And so it filled their hearts with anxiety, kind of like, Little Sally, when we leave the house, it fills her heart with anxiety. And so, so when, when we leave the house, I did it this morning. We, I, we say things to Sally when she's going crazy. We say things like, Sally, we're coming back. Sally, you know I love you. I'm coming back. Sally, please, for the love of everything that's holy, shut up. Stop barking. We say those kinds of things. And so, so Jesus, he's telling them, listen, I'm about to leave. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he makes promises to them. He says to them, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Not only am I going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you to that place. And he's telling them this and he's, he's very clearly letting them know, I love you. And you're not going to have this type of relationship with me anymore where you can sit down across the table. But it doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with me. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be gone. In fact, he then began to promise them in other passages of Scripture where he said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to comfort you in a way that you've never even been comforted even by my presence here with you. We're surrounded day after day after day with false theology. And we worship an invisible God who seems far off sometimes. And what I can't do today, I can't pick up my phone and send Jesus a text and say, hey, I heard this about you today. I heard someone say this. Is that true about who you are? 
I can't go down here to one of these restaurants on Main Street and sit down across from Jesus and eat a sandwich with him and say, tell me about what I need to know about following you today. I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can read the words that are recorded in Scripture that he spoke. And every time I hear something, it should be run through that filter. We should never just accept something that someone says. You know, that sounds good. That's probably who Jesus is. That's who God is. Always run it through the filter of Scripture. There's one way. There's one truth. There's one life. It's only found in Jesus. He is the way that provides salvation. He is the truth that provides peace. He is the life that provides purpose. And then don't ever forget this. And he's promised us that he's coming back. He's promised us that he's coming back. His words and actions always line up. So if he promises he's coming back, he will fulfill that promise. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, we're going to do one more song, I think, after we pray. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be here with you today. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you that um, when you make a promise, you fulfill it. And so when you tell us that you're going to prepare a place for us, that that you're going to come back. And uh, I pray that we would live today in a way that shows we believe that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.